0: Isn't it great that God is worthy of praise? Isn't it great that we get to be with Him in His presence today? And that He's delivered us from our shame and from our enemies and from ourselves and from all those idols that we like to chase. So I'm just grateful to be with you today, grateful that you're here with me, whether you're here online or elsewhere. Um, like right here. Um, We're grateful to be together today. And I just want to bring a few... uh, Welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. It's uh, good to be together. Let's... uh, A few slides, a few uh, announcements for you. Um, Just want to mention to you that there is a... uh, We've been talking about this a little bit, but I just want to get you more um, in tune with it. Merge Twin Cities is a... The idea is just that we're merging, merging um, God's effort, merging the efforts of different churches, merging different cultures, and uh, it's really an effort to reach out, especially to immigrants in the Twin Cities, which uh, they're saying there's a million, um, only 10% of which are really committed to Christ, even though they're from 100 nations. And so uh, there's an effort, first of all, a week of going out to be with people, and then a Festival of the Nations at the Capitol, and um, so I, do we have the video? Um, Nope. (laughs) It's embedded in the previous slide. It worked at Liz's desk. All right, let's try it. So this is the video that you can use to share this. Um, It's not just for a Christian audience, it's to, to invite people. Let's see if we can see it. It's online, we can show it another time. Oh, there we go. All right.
1: The Twin Cities are a special place. It is one of the most diverse regions in the country with over 100 nationalities represented. And where so many feel isolated and divided, we are here to call everyone together. Whether from the suburbs or the inner city, the countryside, or a high-rise, no matter our backgrounds, we are all worth celebrating. MERGE exists so every nationality in our region would know they are loved, welcomed, and celebrated for who they are. This is why we are gathering at the Minnesota State Capitol Building on September 4th for a free event. New relationships will form, lives will change, and a city in pain will begin to experience hope. Join us September 4th, and together we will come out stronger. Learn more at www.celebratingthenations.com.
0: All right, so that's a promo video that you can share with other people as well. It's uh, not the specifically targeted to Christians kind of video. I, I, many of you know Sammy Wagnoni, who was here for our Good Friday service, is the evangelist behind this, and um, we've been talking about this for a few years, and uh, this is, last year it was supposed to be be happening at Alliance Stadium, and then some other things happened last year, so that didn't happen. (laughs) But a week, a year later, we're doing it at the Capitol. So be in prayer for that. And then also there are um, need for volunteers. And uh, so Karen, would you stand up? Um, Karen and Pastor Mike have been especially working toward leading us to that. So talk to Karen about different opportunities that there are um, to be involved with this. Uh, We had an evangelism training here just the beginning of July as well, that a few of you were part of. So uh, welcome to participate in that. And then there's uh, some other fun stuff that people are participating in. Um, No play date this week, but Anna's been taking care of this. Stand up, Anna. She's been having some fun with the kids and other people who are coming along. So, next week we'll be at Newell Park. The the next week, right? Not this week. Um, But this week, we have day camps on the lawn. So, bring your kids and your neighbor's kids and your relative's kids. And uh, there's also um, opportunities for rides and other other things if you want to uh, help. But... uh, this is our week for day camp. I especially ask that you would pray for this week for day camp. Um, you know, this has been a, an interesting shift from uh, our day camps have had to shift in different ways. Last, last year was a day camp in the box. This week, uh, this coming week is a day camp. Last year was a day camp in the box. This coming week is day camp on the lawn. And it's going to be fun, but we also want God to do a great, impactful work in us and in the kids this week. So, um, that's coming up on Monday. And then finally, this is the last Sunday for Big House Elementary until September 12th. So A little break for Big House. We'll have some uh, times together, and I want you to keep in mind that next week is a special focus. Not only is it, is it uh, day camps, but next week's Sunday, is an outside service, and the kids are going to lead us in song, and Sylvia, our our pastor for children, is going to lead us, and we're going to be outside, and then we're going to also have a meal. This meal you get to participate in as well, so we are providing a lot of it, but if you would bring a dessert or a salad, right? Anything except watermelon, because we're providing the watermelon, so... uh, Uh, We'll we'll provide meat and other things. So anyways, you got some of that in the... the, um, And there's no sign-up. There's no specifications about what you need to bring. But just bring something. And if you forget to bring something, I'm sure there will be enough. But uh, come and enjoy another meal together outside. Now normally we do that on the first Sunday with uh, communion. But we're doing it next week um, because of day camps and other things. All right? So those are our announcements. Let's pray as we go to God's Word. Lord, we are so grateful that you have delivered us from our enemies, from our shame, from the enemy. Lord, we ask now that you would supernaturally anoint your Word, that you would say what you want said here and now. That I don't have the words that you need to speak to people, but your word is the word that we need to hear for our time, our place, our situation. So Lord, we ask that you would anoint your word and you would anoint it to our hearts and not only to our heads, but to our hearts and our feelings and our struggles, our relationships, Jesus. Jesus. Would you help us to see and feel the truth of your good news today? Amen. I'm continuing the series that God has been working (laughs) in me, and and specifically what I did last week, um, related to performance we talked about last week, and I'm going to do a little bit of review of last week. Got a slide there, or do I need to do that? All right. Um, Talked about performance. We talked about pride in performance, and uh, mentioned how we, we so few of us get to be Olympic gold medalists, but all of us are trying to find some pride, often some shame, in performance and what we manage to get done. But the question really that we're all asking is, how can I be loved and accepted and forgiven? How can you be loved and accepted and forgiven? And often we are trying to do that by doing the right things. By, and, and that's kind of, you know, some, we were kind of raised that way, right? Our parents tried to get us to do the right thing, and somehow we internalized that as, if I do the right thing, then I'll be loved, and I'll be accepted, and I'll, I'll be okay, and I'll be, I'll, I won't be abandoned, and I'll, I'll be all right even if our parents didn't mean to communicate that to us, in the process of just trying to help us learn, we, we learned that. And we said talks about how, how last time there's an outside source. Now, the real outside source is the accuser, the enemy, right? There's also people around us who are saying, you should do this. You ought to be that. You could be better. And even in the best places... My wife grew up in 4-H. Their motto was making the best better. So you were never good enough. You always had to make even the best better. Um, And somehow she also got it when she worked in 4-H that that the intensity of the parents trying to get their kid the purple ribbon was uh, pretty amazing sometimes because they had to make the best better. Those messages that shame, that you're not enough yet, produce a, a belief, a shame grid that says, I am not enough yet, and, and, a, and a decision, and sometimes that decision is to just give up and do more negative behavior.
1: And so, so that
0: what is not a good way to be better is to, not by disobeying, so one of the ways to be loved, accepted, and forgiven is not disobeying. So one of the things, one, but one way that we deal with being loved, accepted, and forgiven is saying, there are no rules. Forget those rules. Those rules always make me feel bad. But when we cast off the rules, what happens is we end up off someplace. And usually, it's amazing how we get new rules, Right? we switch rules into new rules about those people, especially those judgmental people. But the other way to do things is to move into positive behavior and messages that affirm and that say, try hard and you can do it. Just another lap in the pool, just another run around the track, just another attempt to spin and you can do it. You get a little glimpse of the the intensity of being a gymnast uh, this week. Uh, it's tough to perform well enough. But it's not by obeying all the rules that we manage. We end up being a slave to the rules. And so whether it's addiction or abuse or good grades or career or teaching Sunday school, if it's in that shame-based identity that's based upon what I do, we're going to be stuck. And we're never going to be loved, accepted, and forgiven enough. The other thing we do is we look for someone to give us that love, acceptance, and forgiveness, right? We look to our parents, who never were quite able to do all that, that we needed, right? They were never able to, to do as much as we wanted them to love. And then when that doesn't work, we look for someone else, somebody, you know, so, it, you know, we're, I got my gang, we're, we're together, or the romantic myth, but that that someone, when I find that someone, they're going to give me what I never got. And interestingly, we usually look for someone who's a lot like our parents, because it would really fulfill us if somebody like our parents loved us the way our parents never did. And then it turns out they're a lot like our parents, and they don't love us in the way our parents never did. In fact, I'll be honest. I want my wife to love me like my mom did and the ways my mom didn't. Isn't it? It's impossible, right? The other person is never going to. And then we get in this tussle where, why aren't you loving me? Why aren't you loving me? And I'm not good enough to love you. And we, we get in this fight, whether, whatever the relationship is, right? Or maybe it's our work. But the work is never complete. Or maybe it's even church we talked about can be a place where we don't get it. But Jesus said, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. And we read some of Ephesians. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things you do. We have done, so none of us can boast about it. We're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I am just going to um,
1: go to Galatians and
0: reiterate this same message. Because after all these years, I'm still working on it. And I had a, a kind of a precious conversation with my mom yesterday, and I, I talked about how I talked to her about some of my struggles with this and how I had, had uh, felt like she was perfect, that I could never quite measure up to her. And I said, when did you get a hold of grace? And she, and I, and she said, well, we, we started doing an evangelism explosion, and, and especially this verse. And uh, of course, that was after I was out of the house. Um, so, you know, I had a good uh, foundation in trying to be perfect. And she, she said, you know, sorry if I misled you. Sorry to have misled you. She, she owned it, but not in a... It, she's accepted grace that, you know what? I misled you. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and it was very precious. And she's, you know, she's praying for me to still get grace. And what I love about mom right now, she works so hard, trying hard all the time. Now she can't even move. She, she's just in a wheelchair. And uh, everybody does everything for it. not even in a wheelchair. She, she can't even be in a wheelchair where she can have her feet on the ground and move. Um, and yet, she is resting in God's grace and all that God has done. And so, somehow, all of us, it seems to me, are still striving towards something more. Let, let, me, let me just reiterate the... Um, the We can't do it by trying harder. And I didn't put all these verses up because they're too long. But Galatians 5, 1 to 6. So Christ has truly set us free. How do we find freedom? Now make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. We said that was not the way. Listen, I tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, following the rules, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. The question in Galatia was, how do you become acceptable? How do you become part of God's people? Is it by... So Paul said, by accepting what Jesus has done, they said, well, yeah,
1: and... Jesus and... Have you ever gotten that feeling like it's Jesus and...
0: If you accept circumcision, then Christ will be no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised or following any other rules, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. If you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Or when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised or doing this rule or that rule. What is important is faith. Expressing itself in love. I want you to notice it's faith in Jesus that expresses itself in love. So it's not that we don't do anything, but in the rest cycle... My new source for being loved, accepted, and forgiven is that God has done it for me already. I am loved, accepted, forgiven, and a new creation because of what He has done. And that faith expresses itself in love. You see how the consistent behavior comes out? So we talked about the give up cycle is a dead end. You're walking in the flesh, the negative side of the flesh. The try-hard cycle is also a dead end because you're still walking in the flesh. It's just the positive side of the flesh. This is the proud side. This is the shame side, but it's all about what I did, what you did. The rest cycle says it's based on what God's done, and I am loved, accepted, forgiven, in a new creation, and my behavior can be consistent. It can be faith expressing itself in love.
1: So, let me just read chapter 2, 11 to 16.
0: When Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face, for when he had, what he did was wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised, but afterward, when some friends of Jesus, James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that, they were not following the truth of the good news. I said to Peter in front of all the others of the gospel message, Since you are a Jew by birth, have discarded the law, the Jewish laws, and are living like a Gentile, why are you not trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles, so-called. Let, me, let us know that a person... Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. How? By faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. And we have believed in Christ Jesus, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. What?
1: No one will ever be made right by doing the right things? That's what Paul said. He'd done
0: it, man. He had done all the right things and realized that he still fell short. Anybody else done all the right things and still fallen short? Well, None of you are... Yeah, okay, I see some hands. And uh, I'd have to say... I've tried to do all the right things <laughs> and fallen short. It's hard to say I've actually done them, um, but I sure tried hard. But I've fallen short because it's not possible to do it in my own strength. Now, they're opposite, like we said, the give up cycle also doesn't work. Galatians 5, 13 to 16. So the older brother version doesn't work. The younger brother version doesn't work. Verse 13. If you want to be free, living in the freedom that Christ has won for you means not following the law. It also means not going back into the slavery of sin. Not slavery to the law or slavery to sin. Verse 13. 13 5.13-16. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love.
1: Freedom allows us to do what? Serve
0: in love. But you get the difference between serving in a way that I'm trying to get you to accept me and love me and make me good enough?
1: Ever done that? Yeah,
0: in the church, in your marriage, in your work. I'm trying to get good enough. But it says no. It's freedom to serve one another in love because we are already loved. That's consistent behavior. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. I don't know what kind of problems they had back then, but I don't know. It could happen that sometimes here people can kind of say some negative things about each other too. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the op- or the flesh, wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature d- desires, or what the flesh desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of the flesh, or the sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division. None of this ever happens these days, right? No dissension or division or quarreling or um, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before it, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he's not backing down on, oh, anything's fine. He's saying, no, you won't inherit the kingdom of God if you just follow what you want
1: to do. But, but...
0: The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. When our roots are not in the shame-based energy, but they're in the Holy Spirit, this kind of fruit comes out of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature of the flesh to his cross, and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So, this is, I don't know if you can read it, but the walking by the Spirit, this is the walking by the Spirit cycle.
1: Instead of the walking by the flesh cycles.
0: When we walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, we can have that. Because we already have received love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We don't need to get it from somebody else or from our own behavior.
1: um,
0: I've enjoyed reading this book this week, um, Eugene Peterson's, well, maybe it took me more than a week, um, Eugene Peterson's biography. Um, what I've enjoyed about it is not like at the very end where it says he wrote, uh, the mess, translated the message and 38 other books that have 23 million copies. What I loved about it was his struggles. His struggles all the way through. He grew up, he grew up in a Pentecostal semi God home and, and he, he was also struggling with other, anyway, I won't go into all the struggles, but What's cool is, he struggled. And one of the things that I, I like about his, his saying about his struggles is, is just this, that
1: being human is okay.
0: Most of the time, we don't allow ourselves to be human. He wrote a, uh, a book called Leap Over a Wall about David's life,
1: and You know,
0: we all know David, right? So this is Michelangelo's David. And uh, I thought it fit well with the uh, swimmer, because he looks like he could be a swimmer, right? So this is David, just about to go face Goliath, just ready. And, And you see, this is the kind of thing that we hold up. The Olympic swimmers and the, the Davids, and we're like, you should be that.
1: Right? And
0: what Eugene Peterson says is he says, we tend to look to scripture for um, guidelines or inspiration or, or rules or models. And he says, you know what? David is not a model. Maybe in
1: this one moment he was a model, but he's got a long story, and he's not a model. And it isn't even really full of miracles, his story.
0: What it's about is a very human person, and yet God loves him and accepts him and forgives him. He's got a lot
1: to be forgiven for, David, right?
0: but we tend to look at people in Scripture and say, oh, we should be like them. But it's always
1: work to be buffing up
0: ourselves and the image we're trying to project. And the models. Here's the thing. I'll be honest. I did that. I put my mom and my dad and other people, you know, Jim Olson, and all these other good, good people up on pedestals. And, and, and made them models. And then somehow they're always disappointing. Because somehow the mold gets in there somewhere. And, they, and they, they're always having to clean up your models. But you see, this is actually not David. This is Michelangelo going much more to a Greek or Roman god. It's when we want God that we get stuck.
1: And Michelangelo actually did this when he was a very young man. This is who he wanted to be. This
0: is what he did when he was mature. I know it looks opposite. It looks like this must have been his practice. And David was what he completed. But I think that Michelangelo got a little more insight into life. And those are his finished statues. These weren't attempts. They were, this is what life is really like.
1: This is the reality of life. And God is okay with us being human. Are you following me? We all have that shame from being
0: naked in the garden. It comes naturally. When we try to be gods, it just increases our shame. But we can be
1: following the true God. So David's life is a
0: place where in a very human life, God shows up over and over and over again. He is created, and you are created by God. He is chosen by God. Notice David is not a pastor, just in case you... He's not a missionary. He's not any... He's just a lay person that God chose. In fact, he's a shepherd. Just, he didn't even get invited to the feast. Right? But he's chosen. And God also died for him. So he could be forgiven. And Jesus takes your shame in his nakedness on the cross. So we're about to move into into that, I just want to read, uh, and if the if the worship team would come up, so we can move into communion. I just want to read a little um, a little analogy from Galatians that I that I wrote a long time ago, but and you've probably heard me refer to this kind of idea before. It's not new. The good news. So life is, this is trying to capture this picture in Galatians that we just talked about. Life is sort of like riding in a boat. You sort of float along with everything else. It doesn't seem like you're moving because anything, everything else on the water is like you, just going with the flow. You're only slightly on edge about the distant roar you hear. Then someone comes along and gives you the boater's navigation manual. Here you go. The law. It tells you that you're actually on a wide river and that the distant roar is the waterfall of destruction It teaches you how to look at the riverbank and plot your course. You realize that you're you're moving swiftly toward the waterfall of destruction and become very worried. Then Mr. I am legalistic paddles up to you with an answer. He gives you a paddle and teaches you the fine art of paddling. After he leaves, you focus on developing this art and you become very good at it. In fact, you learn to paddle hard enough and well enough to move slowly upstream. But you can only do it for a few hours and whenever... You rest, or let up, you float back again. Despite your best efforts, you're still moving closer to the waterfall of destruction. Then, a woman named Grace comes along. Your boat, she tells you that the wind is the only way. Let the wind take control of your boat, she says. She gives you, let the spirit take control. She gives you a sail and trains you how to use it and the rudder to catch the wind. As long as you keep the sail full of wind, you're able to move upstream against the flow because you can't predict or control the wind. Sailing is kind of scary, but also exciting and joyful as you fly with the wind. Soon after, you meet Mr. I Am Legalistic again. Why aren't you paddling, he scolds. You're getting so good at it. I'm flying with the wind now. Would you like me to show you how? No, no, no. You're being lazy, letting the wind do all the work. You must do your part. Here's where the people who followed Paul came in. So you pick up your paddle and you begin paddling again. You can't focus on the sail and rudder and the wind anymore, so your sail's less often filled with You don't go as fast as you did when you were just sailing, but at least you're not being lazy. You're doing your part and have the sore muscles to prove it. You're proud of that. There it is, the try hard. Unfortunately, your best efforts still are not enough to keep you from drifting toward the waterfall of destruction. Your frustration makes you angry at yourself and at others. You learn to look at other boats and say, I'm moving ahead of them. I'm much better than them. Even though it only means you're moving more slowly toward the waterfall. When you try to get them to join you, most do not see why they should join your joyless journey.
1: Because they see us as more guilty than anybody. But we have a hope,
0: we can sail. Because Jesus has taken our shame, His action has taken our shame. It also takes our pride. There's nothing we can do. It's based on His action. So, let's go to communion. If you, I hope
1: you uh, grab this on your way in. Paul says this: For I pass on to you what
0: I received from the Lord himself and what he received was you are loved accepted and forgiven and a new creation only because of what jesus did on christ the solid rock i stand all other ground is sinking sand all other ground is sinking sand before we enter into communion, community, I just
1: want to ask you, can you feel you're loved? Can you feel that you're accepted, that you're forgiven, that you're a new creation? I know you've heard all this in your head. I've heard it. But I'm entering in one step Closer.